0: Welcome to the Intentional Growth Podcast, the show that teaches you how to grow the value of a company with an end in mind. Host Ryan Tansom interviews top business leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and other professionals who share their experience and expertise about buying, growing, and selling companies. Thanks for tuning back in. This is episode 229. And today's guest name is Gail Golden and she is the author of a book called Curating Your Life Ending the Struggle for Work-Life Balance which I know so many people struggle with. And potentially are in the pursuit of something that is not even possible. The reason that Gail has the expertise to speak on this topic is because she pulls from decades of inexperience as an entrepreneur herself, as a clinical psychologist, as well as a consultant to Fortune 1000 and nonprofit organizations and middle market entrepreneurs. Gail received her bachelor's degree in psychology from the University of Chicago, her PhD in clinical psychology from Indiana, and her MBA from the University of Western Ontario. And she's a licensed psychologist in Illinois. And there are a lot of people that are yearning for Gail's expertise and wisdom because you have people like Fast Company, Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, Today's Chicago Women, and numerous other publications that are quoting Gail and her work. So needless to say, Gail is qualified to be speaking about how we should create the life that we want and end the struggle of a balance that might not exist. There are three questions I think you should ask yourself right now to determine whether you want to listen in. One, are you having as much fun as you possibly can running your company? Two, are you making the impact that you wanna make? Three, are you making more money and creating a more valuable business? If you are shortchanged in any one of those areas, I suggest tuning in to hear how you can identify what do you eventually want from your business and your life, how to recurate your current situation, identify how you should spend your time because the 168 hours every single week is something that is the great equalizer and how you spend your time will have a direct impact of what you eventually get from your business and your life. So as we continue to talk about the word intentional, How do you intentionally create the business and the life that you want? Well, it's about curating your time into things that are giving you more enjoyment, creating a bigger impact and creating more valuable business. I highly suggest you tune in because Gail is no nonsense and she goes straight to the point, demystifying things that were told between the great titans of the business world and as well as all the noise that happens with life coaches. She gives you some practical exercises to identify what do you want today, how to recurate what you're dealing with and intentionally design the life that you want. So without further ado, here is Gail Golden. Sponsored by Arcona's Intentional Growth Digital Course. Ryan Tansom and Pat Hobby show you how to shift your mindset away from solving for annual income to focusing on strategies that create long-term value, giving you the freedom and choices to take control of the future destiny of your business. Accelerate your knowledge with 36 videos and dozens of exercises that combine decades of experience buying, growing, and selling companies. Learn more by going to arcona.io or visiting the show notes. Gail, how are you?
1: I'm doing okay. How about yourself?
0: I am doing good and I'm super excited to have you on the show. You know, just for the listeners, we'll ha- we'll have to bring in the fact that I'm friends with your son. So, just <laughs> full disclosure. <laughs> yeah, full disclosure. Um, Josh is a good friend and uh, I've been doing some really cool things and I, you know, it's it's listening to your book, reading your book, I did a little bit of both. I'm super excited because your book and your work is so tied into the mission and the things that I've been doing over the years. And I'm excited to... When I was reading it, Gail, I, I literally started laughing out loud because a in the in the intro. It's a no BS, just straight to the point. I love some of the comments you had, and then I could I went back to Josh, and I'm thinking of Josh, and I'm thinking of you. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is also great. Oh, well, thank you. What a great great intro. I appreciate it. <laughs> so, why don't you just give us a background of your practice, your experience, and how you got to where you are today? Your book, and then we can dive into the the meat of what you teach. Sure, I'd be pleased to.
1: Um,
0: So, story goes like this.
1: Got interested in psychology at an early age, went to University of Chicago, undergraduate, and then to Indiana University where I got a PhD in clinical psychology with the goal of becoming a psychotherapist. Uh, My husband's career actually took us up to London, Ontario. So we moved up to Canada and um, I built a private practice there And gradually over years, I learned how to be a good therapist. It is one of the toughest jobs there is. Takes a very long time to get to be good at it. I got to be good at it. And then about 20 years in, I was sitting with a new client one day and I found myself thinking, I know you. I know what you're gonna say. I know what I'm gonna say. I know how long this is gonna take. I know how it's gonna turn out. And I thought, oh, this is not good. (laughs) A client deserves a therapist who is more engaged than that. And honestly, I deserve work that engages me more than that. It's time for me to think about maybe I should do something else, which came as a total shock to me. I thought I'd be a therapist my whole life. So I started looking around for what else do psychologists do? Because I I valued what I knew about how to help people change and what makes people tick. I wanted to continue to use that, but to think about different kinds of problems. And I got interested in how psychology might be helpful to business leaders and to their organizations, how we could help them do a better job at that. I had the good sense to recognize that if I wanted to do that, it might make some sense to learn a little something about business first. Um, so I went back to school and got my MBA mid career. And once I graduated with my MBA, we moved back to Chicago. I signed on with a consulting firm spent about five and a half years with them, learned the rules of the road, how to be a consultant, how to sell consulting, all that good stuff. And then in 2009, started my own company, Gail Golden Consulting. So we are what heading in next spring will be 12 years. We are now an international network of senior consultants, management, psychologists, executive coaches, and we work with businesses using psychology to help them be more successful.
0: And yeah, that's what we've been up to. You know, you know, businesses are one thing, and the brain is a different thing, right?
1: Well, I don't yeah. know which
0: one's more complicated at this point. I'm pretty sure I'm leaning towards uh, the brain.
1: The brain, I think so. But <laughs> business is plenty complicated. So here's the thing. As I thought about the two halves of my career, I realized I was working with very different kinds of people, with very different kinds of problems, different resources, different goals. But there was one problem that kept coming up over and over and over again with practically every client that i talked to the 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 overwhelmed single parents in my psychotherapy practice and the high-flying global executives in my consulting practice and that problem was a feeling of being exhausted overwhelmed inadequate and not living up to my own or other people's expectations
0: so crazy yep.
1: Uh, almost everybody and so i thought to myself well wait a minute We've been talking about work-life balance for as long as I can remember. And as I think about it, I have never met a person who has a balanced life. I don't, I don't know anybody else who does. And then we look at other people and we somehow imagine that they've got it figured out, they've got the balance, so there must be something wrong with me, and I end up feeling exhausted, overwhelmed, and inadequate all over again. There's gotta be a better way to think about this problem and how to solve it. And that's what got me going on what ultimately became the
0: book. Which is so interesting to me because Gail, as you and I had a, a call prior to the to the podcast is, you know, this started from, I read a book called Finishing Bit, Finish Big by Bo Berlingham, who talked about people selling their businesses and having regret. And we're going to talk about some of these themes because it's not about selling. It's about engineering your life intentionally, which is so tied into what you're doing is that they just people run into this issue of being intentional, right? And understand like, what is it that I want? And they don't know how to quantify what you're talking about. Cause it's all relative, right? Like you could be low income and in a whole horrible situation have the same exact situation you talked about. Right. Yes. Or also like, I mean, I've interviewed people, you know, so I read books, Bo's book and this is how I'm tying it all together is then I had the hundreds of podcasts of these people where they made so much money and they're still Burnt out, exact like all the things that you're listening. It's like it's all relative, right? It's, yeah. And what was the theme? So, what did you? What is it? As you started pulling that thread, what was the common theme, regardless of people's situation? Why was this happening?
1: Well, the simple. It's not. It's not a simple problem, but the simple answer. I'll use a, a, a an image that I like. If you have a stove with four burners on it, how many pots can you cook at the same time? Four. Four. Now, you are one of the few people who has answered that question correctly. i read your book, because... <laughs> so
0: that's, that's so uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: The point is, most people think it's a trick question. It's not a trick question. You have four burners, maximum four pots. If you want to cook something else, what do you need to do? You have to take one of those pots off in order to put the other pot on. And what happens if you try to pile 17 pots on the four burner stove?
0: Disaster. Awesome. Nothing
1: gets co- cooked properly, and you end up with a big mess on the floor.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. But And we know that. I mean, nobody is stupid enough to put 17 pots on their four burner stove. And yet that's what we're doing with our energy all the time. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can just fit this in somehow. Oh, yeah, sure. I'll take on that project. Yeah, I can have seven kids and win a Nobel Prize at the same time. Sure. Why not? And so the concept of curation is get clear about what matters to you what are your values, what are your talents, what are your opportunities, what are your passions and design your life, your exhibit, if you will, around that. And that means not saying yes to everything and not putting everything on the stove at the same time. It means, as you use the word intentional, a very intentional series of choices about what's going to go on that stovetop.
0: So what I find you you did an amazing job with some analogies. So I loved the stovetop one. And then we're going to talk about the exhibit in a second, because I sure. think you did a really good job at that one. I've used other analogies that i have tried to get the same point across. I was like, wow, that's fantastic. So before this, maybe I'm trying to think about the most um, interesting way of getting some of your points across in the book and unpacking the book, because it's so applicable, is maybe talking about a couple of the problems that I see as entrepreneurs that have been on the show is you have this, you created something and you didn't necessarily know you only had four stovetops. I think that's part of the problem, right? So you have this, you know, you created a product or service and there was a need or there was a passion. So this kind of wave of growth happened. And then there's Mm -hmm. this, who am like you're, so not only is your identity changing along the way, the marketplace is changing along the way, the money, all these things are happening. Right. And then you have the common themes of entrepreneurs that are visionaries, ADHD, who commit to everything and fail at mm-hmm. lots. And so like mm-hmm. all these things that kind of lend themselves to burnout, exhaustion, things that you're talking about. So that right. your book is like the no BS, like here's how you have time, which is the great equalizer. And I'll tell you what, I am a huge victim of my own personality of I say yes to too much shit. Mm-hmm. And then I realized that I don't have 160. Well, I know that I have 168 hours, but I have this distortion that my partner likes to talk about of how much I think I can get done in what time frame.
1: <laughs> right. That's why, as you know, I don't like to talk about time management. I think that's not, that, that's not helpful. First of all, you can't manage time. As you say, you get 168 <laughs> yeah, hours. Nothing you do is going to change that. And it just keeps coming. Uh, you can't slow it down or speed it up. <laughs> What you can manage is your energy. And I find that if somebody asks me to do something, instead of saying, do I have the time for that? Because as you say, you can fool yourself. Oh, sure. I I got some space between 2 and 3 in the morning. Yeah, you know. So so instead, if you ask yourself, do I want to use my energy for that? I have a finite amount of energy, even if I'm living right and eating power foods and exercising regularly and all those good things, I got a finite amount of energy. Do I want to use it for that? And the companion question to that in my mind is, if I'm going to do that, what am I going to do less of?
0: Burners. They
1: cause burners. Exactly. If I'm going to add that onto the stove. Because I don't, I mean, nobody that I've ever worked with, my clients, these are not people who are sitting around saying, I don't have anything to do. I don't know what to do with myself, (laughs) right? We we are, our time, our energy is is full up already. So I want to add something.
0: What am I going to take off? So I think that the the key to that question is understanding what you're marching towards, right? Because otherwise you have this, like, I love, like, there's this, there's this concept uh, I read in this book that was talking about relativity and like by going through experiences, you get to know fuller, more fully understand yourself what you like and you don't like. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs are kind of in this testing creative mode all the time, but then there's the completion. And what am I marching towards? So to understand I have only four burners, 168 hours. What do I eventually want? I mean, I was going through this engagement with this client and they literally looked at me after we'd gotten through huge numbers that they could sell their business for, keep it. They're just like, Mm -hmm. Ryan, all you're saying is I have to figure out what I want. (laughs) And I was like, exactly. Then we can weigh these options. So maybe we can talk back, maybe kind of take this, Gail, of how do we identify what do we want? And then what is this concept of energy, the finite energy, and how do we engineer that path? Right, right.
1: Yeah, and and that's, okay, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. This sounds simple. Yeah, just, you know, design your exhibit around what you want, and then go do it. It's not. If it were simple, we would all be doing it already. Nobody ever comes to talk with me about a simple problem. They've already figured that out. So figure out what do I want. First of all, I think it's really important to recognize that that's, going to change, you know, what I want when I'm 20, what I want when I'm 35, what I want when I'm 65, I hope it changes. If it doesn't, you're leading a pretty stagnant life. Um, so what do, what do I want right now at this time in this place? That's a key question. But you know what? It's not the only question. Because we have this myth that, you know, if you just want it bad enough, you can make it happen. Not true. I've known a lot of people that wanted something really badly and really went after it. It wasn't their gift or their talent or they weren't in the right place or too many other people wanted that same thing and they just never made it to the head of the line. It wasn't for lack of wanting. There are other things. And I think that's another, along with the myth of you can manage time, the myth or the balanced life, which is another myth, the myth of if you want it bad enough, you can make it happen. It's a destructive myth.
0: Maybe give your example of the exhibit now, because I think that I'm, sure. I was never uh, a museum goer, so like I've totally been to plenty of them. But like your analogy just made so much sense to me.
1: Sure, happy to do that. Um, so I started to think about what does a museum curator do when he or she creates an exhibit. First thing is you better be very clear about what the exhibit is about. <laughs> you know, is it about steam engines or is it about Leonardo da Vinci. I mean, what what's the what's the exhibit right. about? And then you know the museum for which you work has all kinds of marvelous things in the museum, beautiful, valuable things. But if you put them all in your exhibit, you're going to have a cluttered mess. So you have to make some decisions, and one of the first ones is, what doesn't go into my exhibit? It's it's remarkable, but you know my exhibit is about steam engines. And this is about Leonardo da Vinci who didn't create a steam engine. So no, it doesn't go in. So what doesn't go in my exhibit? And then the curator has another difficult decision, which is what goes into the exhibit? But it's not the main thing. It, it I'd like to be it to be in the exhibit, but it'd be over in a side room somewhere. If people are really interested, they'll go read about that. And then the third decision is what is the, one or two or maybe three spectacular things that are the focus of the exhibit that you walk into the great hall that's what you're going to see it's on the poster for the exhibit the big deal things that really capture what the exhibit
0: is about that was the that museum curator model that i started to think about i love it you want to know why because the, the 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 correlation between a finite amount of space and the finite amount of hours, mm-hmm. and the fact that it changes, right? You don't have the same exhibit forever. That's right. And so, like your life changes, and I, what, you know, weave this in as maybe we're talking about how you can go about this process. You're talking about is that the many times business owners they start a, the business and then their life changes, but they don't change their exhibit. Right? So they're like stuck in their identity from how they hired their first round of employees and their customers and who they became to the marketplace. And then they might want to change the exhibit, but the rest of the world is still expecting that exhibit. Right? So there's this identity crisis going on as people want to change, but then they never really think about what I notice a lot you know, is people don't think about what do I eventually want from this thing, money and from legacy, whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So they never go through the process of thinking about that. Therefore, no, you know, museum director is telling that exhibit or the, the curator to do something different.
1: Right. <laughs> right. I think what you're talking about in, there are a lot of things, in I know, I apologize. Saying, but one of the things you're talking about is, is re mm-hmm. You make some choices and then it starts to not work. Just like for me, when I thought I was gonna be a therapist my whole life and realized I was stale and bored and a little burned out and it was time to do something else. And I find that that recreation happens in one of two ways. Basically something happens to you, you get fired, you have a baby, your business suddenly has a thousand employees instead of 10, mm-hmm. something happens that requires you to recurate, to redesign your exhibit. Or you choose. You're sitting doing what you've been doing and you think, hey, you know what? I liked this, but it isn't working for me anymore. I need to figure out something else. Both of those can be a real shock to the system, by the way. But they're somewhat different experiences. And I think those are sort of the two key times that people have to go through that process you're talking about. And you mentioned earlier rapid growth in a business. I think that's one of the biggies mm-hmm. because what you what your exhibit can be when you've got 10 employees, heck, you can do it all. You can sweep the floors. You can be the head of marketing. You can be in product development and managing the budget all at the same time. But when you've got 1,000 employees, you can't. Mm-hmm. And so then you have to make the begin to make decisions about whom do you bring in, to whom do you delegate what, and what is it that you uniquely are good at that you want to keep doing?
0: And I think that you're tapping into like this concept of recreation, I think is fantastic. I want to dive into further too, as well. But the it's about also understanding what happened that first wave in order to recurate. Like, did you do that intentionally, or are you all right. of a sudden in this recuration where the first exhibit happened without you knowing it? Cause it was the business that grew and kind right. of find you. And like um, what I find find interesting. Gail, is that you, the two ways of curating that you talk about are the things that we run into. Like someone is bored or burnt out or something of the day to day role. And so, mm-hmm. like, that's one, they just, it's not working anymore. Right. And I think there's this huge myth that entrepreneurs and honestly, our culture is pushing us to think that there is no time limit, right? You, mean, you look at who do we worship? We worship. Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, and all these, you know, insane unicorns who, if you got, if you go in and read their biographies, they had shitty home lives. I mean, they were, they had 17, you know, pots on the pan, (laughs) but everybody only saw the four that were magnificent. And I just, so we're not really showing that this is a thing and then all we do is say all you have to do is you have to just find the extra 90 minutes to meditate every day and then do yoga and then do all these things and then you'll magically come up with more hours and energy yeah right
1: not yet by the way i want to push back a little bit because i look at those giants jeff bezos and and and, the, the, the 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 tech giants and their exhibit in fact may be exactly what they wanted it to be and what they designed
0: that's, they you know figured That's out, a super good point.
1: Yeah. They figured out what their greatness was and they went for their greatness. And they, I mean, the three categories are putting your best energy into your greatness, saying no to the things that really don't belong in your life at all. And in between, what is really hard for most people is the stuff that you have to do, but you don't have to be great at it. You just have to be good enough. And I bet you, that Jeff Bezos and, 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 and you know, I'm lo- losing the names, um, all have a lot of stuff that they're just mediocre at and a bunch of other stuff that they don't do at all
0: in order to focus on that greatness. You know what? I think you just caught me doing exactly what you said in your book is something you shouldn't do, <laughs> which is it's the comparing to others, right? And mm-hmm. I love how in the beginning of the book, you're like, it's total BS. We are humans. <laughs> and I was like... Thank God that you someone yes. Yeah. Like yeah. So we look at these and <clears throat> what happens is it's a mismatch of what we're comparing. Right. So like it right. doesn't even make any sense because if you prioritize and value family and some other things, then you uh-huh. wouldn't destroy your home life to build an empire. You know, it's so, that's right.
1: That's exactly I, I there's a story, there's something that happened to me recently that I want to share with you because I think it yeah. really illustrates this. Uh, you know, I'm I'm a senior professional in my line of work, I've got a good reputation, and a colleague of mine, whom I really respect, he's a friend and someone I respect, called me up and said, Gail, we'd like you to consider taking over the leadership of a professional association, a professional organization, which I'm a member of, and it was like that, I mean, it was a big deal, like that's a really great offer, so I said, let me think about it, and I thought, okay. What's my exhibit about right now? Three things. Continuing to grow my business and make it prosperous and do the kinds of work that I really want to do, especially in the face of a pandemic that's making it more difficult. Second, sell my book. Get the word out there. You know, make it make it both the message and and the the, the financial rewards of selling that book. And third, be the best grandmother I know how to be. Those are my three things that I want to put my greatness into right now. Now let's take a look at this offer about leading up this professional association. Is it going to help me build my business? Well, no, because the people in the association are other people who do the same kind of work as me. They're my competitors. they were friends, but they're my competitors. Yeah. Is it going to help me sell books? No, not really. They may have bought it already, but it's not like a big book market. Is it gonna help me be a better grandmother? No, because if anything, it might take time away from that. So I regretfully said to my friend, I really appreciate the offer, but no, thank you. Now, and that's the kind of trap I think that it's so easy for somebody like me to, to fall into is, wow, what a great opportunity, what an honor, you bet. The other thing I thought about is, am I willing to do that mediocre? Am I willing to put that into my exhibit, but it's not, not a thing I'm gonna put my best energy into. And I thought, no, if I take on that role, I wanna do it whole hog. And I don't have the bandwidth to do that. So, no. That's the kind of thing that, was the that life curation
0: looks like, right? Yeah, and I just think about how well you do that. And that's such a challenge for myself and for mm-hmm. a lot. I I read a book last year at the end of 2019 called Essentialism. Yeah. That, that kind of, you know, punched between the, the eyes of, okay, quit saying yes to everything because there's a, a ripple effect of how much time is going to take for that first yes. But there's a couple of challenges that I believe that a lot of business owners deal with of being good at a lot of things, having the visionary tendencies. So not only like, so like, Literally, I was in the, you know, getting dressed and I'm like, I was thinking about this product this morning that would make my life easier. And it's just mm-hmm. like, I need to stop thinking like that. And so it's like, how do you take your visions and your skills, which could be a lot, like way bigger than the 168 hours. Right. The do what you just said. Mm-hmm. And it ties into that mediocrity. How are you okay being okay at something?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that for a minute, because I think that's really one of the keys to the approach that I'm talking about. In fact, there was one book agent when I was you know, trying to get the book out there who said the title of this book should be Embrace Mediocrity. <laughs> and I thought, uh, my clients are not going to buy that book, so no. But she was right in that that's, that's one of the key points in this. The reality is, Ryan, that most of what we do, all of us, we're mediocre at most of what we do. Just by, I mean, even Leonardo da Vinci, who is, you know, one of the most phenomenal human beings who ever lived, he wasn't great at everything. Maybe he was a lousy cook. I don't know. He wasn't great at everything. But the trouble is that when we recognize that we're not putting our best into something, we're not great at it, we feel guilty about that. Mm -hmm. And that drains our energy. That guilt is one of the things that leads to overwhelmed, exhausted, inadequate all the time instead of saying yeah you know what i'm a mediocre cook that's my choice that's not my greatness my greatness is being the best ice skater on the planet and cooking i have to do it but i'm not going to be great at it and i'm and and draining the guilt out of that making it intentional looking at all the things i do that are good enough but they're not great and saying yeah i'm okay with that that's my choice
0: we're in in this Concept of curating your life does it does the is there some sort of triggering like epiphany that happens where once someone realizes what they want to be their what they want their exhibit to be to be able to say no because I think there's this if you don't know what the big picture is you don't know how to say yes or no to things either and like so you have to have both. I
1: agree, but I think the saying no is its own skill. <laughs> I think even when you are really clear about yeah, this is what I want true. to do. You know, there are a lot of reasons why saying no is really hard. Mm -hmm. People don't like it when you say no to them. You know, now if it's somebody you don't care about, no big deal. But if it's somebody that you really care about or whose opinion matters, how do you say no to that person? And sometimes saying no makes you sad because you really would like to do that thing. You would, you know, you see the value in it, but you have to say no because it doesn't fit in your exhibit right now. Mm -hmm. Maybe it will later. So, there's a whole bunch of self awareness and then, honestly, social skills, conversational skills. How do I say no to you in a way that doesn't make you just ticked off at me and makes you know, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and, right. and, and, and and maintains our relationship, right?
0: Nope. Any tips on that? Like, we don't have wait, that's probably all, like multiple sessions on it on itself, but I just it's curious. in the book. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's a the book. <laughs> <laughs> so, the I think I want to I want to dive further into how to identify what your exhibit is about yes. along your life. But before we jump right into that, I want to unpack a little bit about your energy and having finite energy. Like, mm-hmm. I'm because like you talked about, you can increase the amount of energy you have, but you still have a finite amount of hours. So before right. let's lay that groundwork before we jump into sure, sure. So m- my thinking actually is built on
1: another book that was hugely impactful on me, how I live, and how I coach my clients. That book is called The Power of Full Engagement uh, by two guys, Lower and Schwartz. And they are, were athletic coaches who worked with world-class athletes who had fallen off their peak performance, who were not able to perform at the level they had previously, to try to figure out what was getting in their way. Why were they not performing at that level? And what they learned from that athletic coaching work, they then brought into work with the people they call corporate executives, who are high flying business leaders. And so there were a couple of key principles that they put in their book, which I really recommend people reading. One of which is don't manage time, manage <laughs> energy, okay. which, so I stole that. I mean, I give them credit, but, but that. the other one that they talk about in their book a lot is that the most highly productive, high-performing people have a a rhythm where they know how to sprint and then recover, which means you work really hard, as hard as you can for a defined period of time, and then you stop and rest and recover. And that is absolutely counter-cultural in north america in 2020. Mm -hmm. um we we believe you know you'll hear it all the time it's not a sprint it's a marathon run 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 i work 24 7. we boast about that that is idiotic to try to work 24 7. you are not going to do a very good job if you do that so sprint and recover is one of the key principles so that's sort of some of the fundamentals and then their book is full of really great ideas about how to maximize your energy, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. how to live in a way that gives you as much usable energy as you can have.
0: And and so that's that's the place for that. And I think, you know, just this false notion of like, you just can, like I said, engineer additional time to meditate and do all these other things that are going to miraculously create more energy and time. And it just is not a thing. And it's really interesting. And I know this this podcast is not about me, but a use case of my own life, Mm -hmm. uh, Gail, is I've been working out regularly for 15 years. So every morning I, wait, I do weightlifting and then I run a 5K. And uh-huh. it's, it's discipline, but, you know, and you have this whole theme of discipline equals freedom. And I could not agree with you more. And the reason I did all, like, I've got this structure is because I really enjoy having fun. And I didn't enjoy that fun unless I did this stuff. And uh-huh. it was literally out of my own mental like survival mode, you know, 15 uh-huh. years ago of like if I just do these things, the fun will be more fun. Uh-huh. And then it was, but that's like kind of a whole sprint where, like, if I right. if I was running low, I just knew that I had to go do that because like when you're in the middle of typing an email, building a presentation or doing a presentation, if it's really hard for me, I like it when it's really easy. So it's mm-hmm. like if it takes five hours to do the same thing that should have yeah. taken two. Right. Like I could have should have just done done some of the other stuff. I just right. it was interesting because I was seeing a little bit of my own behaviors in, in the book without really understanding it.
1: Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, you live in a way to maximize your energy. By the way, you just made me think of something I learned years ago. I didn't put it in the book and I should have, which is a a little a little phrase that if you are mentally tired, do something physical. if you're physically tired do something mental and it's really easy yeah you know it doesn't mean you have to like stare into space and do nothing although some space staring is probably a good idea but you so so if you've been working at your desk Mm -hmm. you know and and you realize you're kind of hitting that place where you're just you'd like to push through but you can't yeah Get up. You don't have to run a 5K. That's fantastic that you do. Get up and, and walk to you the living something. room and back, I, you know, do something, yep. uh, you know, dance for five minutes to some nice music, something, and then come back and you'll find that the time that you lost doing that other thing, you more than gain because you're more productive. when you get How do you that. do
0: with the guilt feeling of saying, again, that's into the saying no or saying yes to something mm-hmm. that should give you energy, right? So like there's that, you know, especially in today's, you know, 2020 with the Zoom Academy, I mean, no more commutes, no more walking in and out of meetings, and you have more time, which leads more time to work, but yet you become more exhausted faster. I think there's just this interesting guilt factor that's part part of that too.
1: So look, here's my little thing on guilt. If you do something terrible, you should feel guilty, right? <laughs> if you steal from your boss, if you drive drunk and hit somebody, if you you know, are, are deceitful or unkind or cruel and you feel guilty, good, you should. And straighten up and don't do that anymore, right? But there's lots of stuff where I may not be being my most perfect self. I may not be, my, be the most exemplary Gail Golden I've ever been. Maybe I'm even being a little bit bad. But it's, it's recharging my batteries. It's giving me some room to breathe. Mm-hmm. Don't feel guilty about that. Again, be intentional about it. You know, I'm somebody that I react to alcohol very quickly. If I drink two martinis, I am silly. <laughs> okay, So I don't do that very often. But you know what? If I drink two martinis in a safe environment where I'm with people that I trust and I'm not going to get up behind the wheel of a car... Do it. I don't have to feel guilty about that. And and so I think that guilt thing, you know, part of the book is about getting clear about voices inside our head that come from early childhood, where we've learned these really rigid rules. This is right, and this is wrong, and you're a good boy, or you're a bad boy. Those voices are still in there. And as adults, we have to learn how to sort of bring them up into the light of reason and say, wait a minute, is that bad what i just did no it
0: was a little silly okay fun i'll get back I, to work i i i actually uh, resonated a lot with um that comment when you said in that right now and also in the book where you're talking about a lot of these narratives or the exhibit we think we're in is based in early childhood mm-hmm. and then the business and being an entrepreneur and all those things become a a result of what your what narrative you told yourself a long yes. time ago yes. so now we're getting into this Curation and recuration. So like, yes. how do you figure out, like as you're, someone's listening in and going, okay, I want to change those voices, become less rigid, become more intentional and curate what I, like, how do you go about figuring out what that exhibit should look like? And then assessing where you're at in your life journey too, because knowing that it's okay that you can change it. Right. That's so important. I think a couple yeah. of thoughts,
1: sometimes that process, you'd need to spend some time in therapy. Depending on the baggage that you're carrying from childhood, you know, I'm putting a plug for my former career, (laughs) um, there's a time and a place for therapy, for doing some deep work and getting clear about what you want to keep and what you want to let go of. Mm -hmm. So that can be part of the process, but it's not necessarily part. I mean, it's, it's just, it's one of the options. What is it? It's about figuring out who am I, about getting to know yourself better. It may be things like looking back over the jobs that you've held and thinking, what did I love? What was great about that? You know, I was a waitress when I was in uh, graduate school. I made my way through school, certain waiting tables in an Italian restaurant. Did I love that job? No. Would I want to do that job my whole life? No. But you know, one of the things that I loved about it was if I did a good job, I made more money. That if I did a really great job waiting my, on my tables, I would get better tips. And my compensation was tied to how well and hard I worked. So that's a useful takeaway for me, <laughs> right? I'm going to be happier in a job where it's not a job where it doesn't matter how well I work, I'm going to get paid the same. That's not going to be very motivating for me. Um, I'm willing to take the downside if I screw up, but I want the upside if I'm doing something really well. So looking back on jobs you've had and saying, what was it about that job that I really liked? And what was it? that was horrible. And I hope I never have to do that again. That begins to give you a sense of what matters to you. And, and it can be about purpose. You know, when I was waiting tables, like what difference did that make to the world? Well, some people had a nice evening out. That's a good thing. If I can make that happen, that's good. Is that all I want my life to be about? Maybe not. So again, figuring out what's the impact that I want. What are my values? Sometimes people, you know, they think about it in terms of legacy. What do I want to be remembered for? So those are some of the,
0: the yeah, ways. I, I don't know if those are, uh, if you intentionally were kind of circling around the three, three things. I, there was a part a page in your book at the beginning. Mm-hmm. There was three things and I literally was like, you know what? Those are problems that every business owner that I know is trying to ask himself whether they know it or not, is am I having fun? What impact am I making? Mm-hmm. And then am I making money?
1: Yeah. And <laughs> yeah,
0: like, like, then I was like, Gail, yeah. I'm like, oh my God, like, yeah. yes. That's
1: Everything- for my friend, uh, John Blattner, who is a very fine psych- uh, psychologist and consultant. And uh, I have used those three questions. <laughs> oh, am I having fun? Am I doing good work? Am I making money? If I can say yes to all three, whoa. I'm in a good place if i can say yes to two of them yeah maybe for a while that'll work but if i have only got one or none of those i mean look sometimes if i'm poor and i have children who are hungry it's only about making money
0: that's very good point that's
1: yep. all that matters so again i we I, we have to be careful not to overgeneralize. some people's lives are way more difficult than yours or mine mm-hmm. so sometimes it's just about making money but most of us fortunately yeah. live in a place where we can make choices based on am I having fun and am I doing good work as well
0: what's as that. What's interesting, Gail, is like, I see the, where people that engage with our educational material come from is that they one of those things that aren't really working. So again, they're almost in this point where they need to recreate recurate their life. Mm-hmm. They don't know what the big vision is that, they don't know what the new exhibit should look like. Right. And then they right. also like, of those three questions, if financial, like if the company's not worth what they thought it should be, then it has to be, it's almost like a, you know, it's a different version of what you said, but it becomes all about the money. Even though they want a bigger impact and they want to have more fun, they realize that they're in this box that they don't want to be in. So it's like kind of the, the, our kind of mission is like identify where you're before you're burnt out. So that way you can enjoy the recreation of what you want. But like, I don't know how, like, How do you take those three questions and assess your current exhibit? And then also, what do you want the new one to look like?
1: Right. You know what? Most people have no difficulty answering the three questions.
0: If you (laughs) say to them,
1: are you having fun? Are you doing good work? (laughs) And that can mean both the quality of your work, but also the impact of the Mm -hmm. work that you're doing. Are you making money? I mean, those are not difficult questions. Most people know the answer to that. And that helps because then you can sort of see, well, where's the pain point? You know, I'm 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 doing good work and I'm making money, but oh, man, it's not fun anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, whatever. Um, so so I think that those questions are not that hard to answer. The harder one, which I think you keep circling back to is, so then how do I figure out what is it that I need to do next? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think you have to do experiments. You have to try stuff. And, I mean, goodness knows, entrepreneurs are good at that. <laughs> you know, they're risk takers, right? So so they'll do an, you know, try it out. You want to see if feeding the poor people in Africa is your thing? Go do it for six months and see. Now, again, that's also bounded by your, your environment, your responsibilities, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, whether, exactly. I mean, I, and, again, I, I get really mad at some of the self-help books that I've read, which are all about, well, just go and do it like hello you know i have physical capabilities i have relationships that matter to me i am bounded by those things but there's another thing i think that i do want to stress and i am more and more aware of this the older that i get people think if you haven't done it by the time you're 35 or 40 or 45 you're you're done well you know what if it's being a world-class figure skater that's probably right. If you <laughs> haven't done it by the time you're 25, yeah, you can be a good skater, but you're never going to get to the it Physical
0: laws it. of science are, are exactly. against you.
1: So, so some things are time limited. But when I was considering going to business school, it suddenly occurred to me that when I graduated with my MBA, I would be 50 years old. And I thought, who's going to hire a brand new 50-year-old MBA? I mean, this is ridiculous. So I went and talked to one of my business profs before I signed up for the school. And I said, here's my problem. And bless him, he said to me, Gail, there are people who will not hire you because you're Jewish. There are people who will not hire you because you're a woman. There are people who will not hire you because you're 50 years old. Those are stupid people and you don't wanna work for them.
0: (laughs) Very well said, right?
1: (laughs) You know what? And I was like, yeah. So I switched careers at 50 and built my whole second career since then. I don't know. Maybe there'll be a third career ahead of me. Who knows? I mean, my book was published just this last spring. I'm 68 now. So, you know, I'm still going strong. So do not let yourself be short-circuited by that. Oh, my goodness. It's too late for me.
0: And what I like... Totally agree because I mean, my business partner quit his job, and we partnered up together, and he's in his mid 60s, <laughs> 63 at the time of this recording. So, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say mid because he's gonna be a very specific person. <laughs> he would not right? like that, <laughs> <laughs> not exactly. Apologize, Pat. Um, <laughs> but what I want for there's I think because I even though I went through this forced recreation. After selling the business, and that's what ends up happening, Gail, is people come on this show and they're like, "I wish I uh, woulda," and you have a whole, you know, chunk on regrets too. Mm -hmm. Is they're forced to because they sold their business, they like one of those three things became out of whack. They were either not having fun, not making the impact. So what they did is they wanted to go do that thing in Africa, but they sold their company Mm -hmm. in order to do it, and then they had, "Oh wait, I wish I wouldn't have." And that's something that you can't take back. So there's this whole like recreate your exhibit while you're still in it Mm -hmm. who identify whether because there's such a financial impact of selling versus like if you were to do the right things with the right passion and purpose the financial reward is very great years down the road but it might take focused intentional curating of your exhibit in order to get that so you can't do that if you've sold
1: you are making another point though and again as i think about it i think i could have thought about this some more in terms of writing the book which is re often involves loss mm-hmm. and loss involves pain, right? Even if if you've chosen something that is going to be better for you you, 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 you're intentional and you have a vision of what lies ahead. I mean, when I shut down my practice as a psychotherapist, I spent three months saying goodbye to my clients who were people that I cared deeply about sure. and feeling as if I'm abandoning them. I was I spent three months saying goodbye to a whole network of friends that were in the in London where we were living at that time, London Ontario because we were moving back to Chicago. I mean the, the losses that were involved in it and frankly, I mean I had established a, a, an identity. I mean when, when the local news station wanted a commentary from a psychologist, they called me up and I would be on TV and talk about you know uh, the events of the day. Um, I had a very successful practice. I moved back to Chicago. My family thinks I'm wonderful, but nobody else knows who I am. And I'm back to learning, I'm a beginner. It was, there was enormous loss in that. And I'll tell you, there were times when I had very serious doubts about what I had done. And I think I'm pretty, I I think I did put this into the book, that one evening as I was sitting there thinking, why did I blow up my Mm -hmm. life? What was the matter with me? And it came to me that I had a choice, that I could be bored or I could be scared. And I chose scare Hmm. and that reassured me because for me, boredom is worse than fear. But that didn't mean that I am scared Mm -hmm. and that I didn't have a lot of discomfort and loss. So I, I tell that story because somebody sells his business or her business and then they feel afterwards, ah, what did I do? It doesn't mean necessarily that that was the wrong choice. Maybe it was. And maybe they need to revisit that so they don't make the same mistake again. But maybe it was exactly the right choice, but it's now they're discombobulated. Their new exhibit hasn't been put together yet. So
0: figure it out. And I think when you say bored or scared, and I totally think that that's an interesting articulation of the state of the mental state. I also think burnt out is one of those two that other people that I interviewed, because there was this that I interviewed that have told me that, where they're burnt out because they got 17 pots on the burner. Right. <laughs> and they think that if they sell the stove, <laughs> they're going to get a different situation. But Yeah, right, are- right. So then they yeah. end up literally back to where they started or trying to recreate that stove with the 17 pots and pans.
1: Again, again that's right. That's right. So, again, I think a, a lot – I mean, you'll see, you know, running through my approach is self-awareness, you know, really – paying attention to what excites me what bores me what am I good at what what matters to me and then how can my organize, how can I organize my life so I'm putting the energy into the stuff that really matters that's th- to me the key so that you don't have to feel inadequate overwhelmed and exhausted all the time you get to feel good about what you're doing
0: there's a it's all about the journey and you know you've heard lots of people talking about that but like it's truly like what do you? what do you do or what are people that are good examples that are along this journey, they're constantly recurating their life. And this, is this, this evolution, mm-hmm. how are they doing that? Cause it's, you're never there, right? Like, you, right.
1: Right. so yeah.
0: like you have to figure out how to enjoy this in each exhibit along the way. <laughs> well, I think that's right.
1: But I will tell you, one of the reasons I like the curation model more than balance is that balance really is momentary. I mean, if you're walking on a tightrope, you've got to be adjusting your balance every few seconds Mm -hmm. to get across that tightrope, Mm -hmm. right? Duration is not momentary. You can design a good exhibit and it could last for three, five years, maybe more, seven, before you start feeling like, yeah, you know what? Time to move some things around here. So it's not that constant. What am I supposed to do now? What am I supposed to do now? No, I got an exhibit. That tells me what I'm supposed to be doing now. And, but then at some point, as I said, one of two things happens. Either I start to feel like it's not my exhibit anymore. It was my exhibit five years ago, but it's not. Or a dinosaur comes in and crashes through your exhibit and you have to do something different, right? A pandemic hits, uh, you know. Uh, I've been downsized twice in my career. Twice I walked into work. Once very early and once more recently. And they said, we love you, Gail. Here's your package. Um, believe me, that calls for re-curation.
0: Mm-hmm. What do you do? Is there a way to, if you tend to want to reorganize things too often, mm-hmm. <laughs> like without making massive ramifications in a business? Right? They call. Right. It, I've heard people call it the entrepreneurial whiplash for their team. Ah, uh, yes. And. It, Alongside that note too, you know, I'm just thinking of the struggles that I've gone through with people that I've been on the show or clients that, so there's that one issue, the too fast of rec- recuration, but also mm-hmm. what happens when, when you won't have that moment of you want to start thinking about how to recurate a new exhibit, yet everybody around you is, has a vested interest of you still selling tickets to that same exhibit.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Those are both. Really tough, I think.
0: <laughs> well, it's good to know that they're not, there's not a simple problem. And I know, you know you're not a advocate of simple answers, but
1: <laughs> yes, yeah, I said nobody ever comes to me with simple problems. So, yeah, I mean that whole you know, one of the chapters in the book is about curating your home, right? And and about balancing your needs and desires with those of the people who really matter to you. You know, the people that that you love and give meaning to your life, you know? And and I mean, that's never easy. It means sometimes I gotta spend, you know, all this time doing something my husband loves and I could care less about it, you know, and vice versa. So yeah, you've got an exhibit, everybody around you loves it. Maybe what you're gonna wanna do then is make incremental changes rather than blowing the whole thing up. Maybe you're gonna just blow it up in one fell swoop and then help them to deal with it help them to see that you're still the same person it's just that your exhibit has been redesigned i mean i think there are cruel ways to do that and there are loving ways to do that there aren't easy ways it's it's all hard
0: i think we need more of that message there's what you just said is important and also there are no simple answers and you talk you know there's in the book about all the life coaches that are out there and all the easy answers and, and especially with the clickbait world that we live in. It I even told my partner, I'm like, we sell education to more hard work. <laughs> it's not really a, a great clickbait, you know, 17 right. steps to create creating a multi-million dollar business right. by the end of the year.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh man. Well, you know what? Princess Bride. Oh, There's a line book. in Princess Bride. <laughs> where um the hero says princess life is pain and anybody who tells you otherwise is trying to sell you something now i don't agree with him that life is pain i think life has pain but i also think if a life well lived has enormous joy and fulfillment and satisfaction and goodness in it but somebody who says you can do this without pain is trying to sell you something and it's a fake
0: (laughs) i i think it's I think it should be like literally that that statement should be ingrained. And like, I agree with you. It's not pain. It's 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 a process and processes mm. are hard, right? Like yeah. the recreate recuration of an exhibit yeah. is difficult, but it's yeah. wor- the only reason you do it is because it's worth it. Right. I mean, oh, well, you hope that it's
1: going to be worth it, but you only <laughs> get to find out after you do it. You know,
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: so that's the scary part.
0: Gail, this has been an, an absolute blast. Um, well,
1: thank you. I think so, too.
0: I got two, two final questions for you. One is, uh, and I think I'll have some ideas of how you'll answer, but the word intentional.
1: Mm-hmm. What is your
0: definition of intentional?
1: Intentional means I'm very clear about the decision that I'm making and why I'm making
0: it. I love it. What's the best place to find you, your book and all the stuff uh, that you've got out online?
1: Sure. Well, the book is not in bookstores, but it's sold online, Um, obviously Amazon, but also other online booksellers. And in fact, I'm delighted to see that if you type curating your life into Google, my book typically pops up right away. So that's exactly where we wanted it to be. (laughs) Um, In terms of getting in touch with me, I have a website. It has lots of content on it, about the book, but also about the other kinds of things that my team and I do. And there's a contact place um, on the website or you can email me, which the email address is there. I mean, it's, I don't make myself hard to reach. accessible. years ago, I learned the best, best thing about marketing, which is if you've got a service that can be helpful to people and you don't make yourself easy to find, that's unethical.
0: That's a great way to think about it.
1: So I have tried to make myself easy to find.
0: <laughs> Gail, thank you so much for coming on the show. I very much appreciate you, the work you're doing on the book and everything.
1: Thank you for the invitation. It really has been fun.
0: I really hope you enjoyed that episode with Gail Golden. It really resonated with me. And I think a lot of the people that I hang out with that own businesses and a lot of the people that are on this show a lot of visionaries, and I personally have this completely warped sense of how much time I actually have how much is possible given the time that is in each month and each year, and what is possible given the long-term goals that I have. And I see the same thing with a lot of entrepreneurs. And, and I think it was Bill Gates who at one point said that you can accomplish way less than you think in the short term, but way more than you think in the long term. And it's having this whole recalibration of being intentional of what am I spending my time on today and what exhibit am I in? I have to do a lot of my own personal work on that. And if And if there are some suggestions that I have for you is making sure that you're doing the intentional work to figure out what exhibit are you in today, where should you be focusing your time, and making sure that you are, one, enjoying what you're doing, two, making the impact that you want to have, and three, making more wealth and a more valuable business. If you're not doing one of those things, ask yourself why, and then ask yourself how you should focus your time into areas that get you the things that you want So you're having fun, making more money, making an impact. I just think it's those three things that could really, truly make anybody happy. And if you're intentionally going and creating those environments so you can foster your skills and passion, I think it just is a recipe for success and the ability to do all the hard work that you want because it's not as much work and you're eliminating a lot of the burnout a lot of people get themselves into. So they have to get out of their situation. I hope you enjoyed this. I hope we're able to reflect in some of your own situations as you jump into thinking and planning about how you're going to spend your time in 2021. If you like this episode and my podcast, I really, really would appreciate a review on iTunes, Google, however you're listening to this. Thanks again so much. And I will see you next week.